Hello and welcome to our University of Strathclyde podcast series, run out of the world-famous School of Education, right in the heart of the beautiful city of Glasgow in Scotland. We bring you a mix of meet and academic interviews, thought pieces, conversations and provocations on all things education, to give you a glimpse into our world-leading education research here at Strathclyde and of course to stimulate your questions and thinking around the meaning, purpose and practice of education in schools, in communities, and of course, in all our lives. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the School of Education's podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Will Quirk, who is a teaching fellow in the School of Education. Welcome, Will. Hi, thanks for having me, Claire. This is very exciting and also nerve-wracking, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Nothing to be nervous about. I will be very kind and gentle, and this is just us having a chat about you and your work so you know this stuff I said you're a teaching fellow but that's not all you are maybe you could tell everybody a wee bit about yourself what you do here and what you did before you came yeah no problem so I have been working in the school of education for just over a year now so I'm the teaching fellow for geography and sustainable development education so I have a hand when it comes to the PGD geography cohort, but then also sustainability education across master's level, PGDE, and then also our four-year BA course as well. But before I joined the School of Education, I was a geography teacher by trade. So I taught geography and rural skills, which is a national progression award in Falkirk. And then I made the leap to, to initial teacher education. Rural skills? What's that? Yes, rural skills. It's a fun one. It's a really fun course, not delivered as much as I think it should be. Um, so it's a Skills for Work Award or a National Progression Award, depending on the level. But it's all about developing skills associated to or with rural industries. So there's different pathways and links that you can go down. And the one that we went down in the school that I worked in was the forestry pathway. So we learned a lot about trees, the growing cycle of trees, how they're used in industry, how you can identify them, um, how they relate to ecosystems. It was it was really fun. I loved teaching it. It was really good. Well, and that links really nicely with what you're going to talk about today because you are Mr. Sustainability in the school. I mean, you just said you've got all these remits for sustainability across the courses. But I think maybe it's Maybe it's important, first of all, to explain a wee bit about what you mean when you use the word sustainability. Yeah, I think it, it's always a good place to start when it comes to discussions about sustainability to go over what it actually means. Because I think a lot of people assume that it's just about environmentalism and climate change, but it has a much broader scope than that. So the definition for sustainability itself is to live in a way currently that meets our own needs without compromising the needs of future generations so if we are living in a way right now that is destroying how our children or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren may live in the future then that is not a sustainable way of living and um, there's the i suppose the environmental bit that is very well known due to things like straws being up turtles noses and greta thunberg and all that kind of stuff but there's also a social element of sustainability as well to do with you know human rights and living as a community and how people live in their living conditions and then there's also an economic side of things as well so economic growth but having continuous economic growth that doesn't negatively impact the community side the social side 
and that environmental side as well. So when I talk about sustainability, that is kind of, it's a very all-encompassing, I suppose, definition of what that word means. That's a really nice package, though, and clearly one that you've um, had to say many times because it's really coherent. But I'm, I'm thinking that that environmental, social and economic element aligns quite nicely with issues around rights, as well as obviously the sustainable development goals. But the idea of rights seem to sit quite nicely against that. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, most of the literature in relation to sustainability itself sees sustainability almost like a triangle that has to keep balance and the economic bit and the social bit and the environmental bit have to be balanced in that way. So if you put, for example, too much emphasis on one particular element, whether it is the environmental bit. So for example, if we go hell for leather and start protecting loads of land and that could totally constrain our growth when it comes to I know providing housing for our communities or providing spaces for industry to develop and things like that so all three elements have to be seen in contact with each other and I suppose that's where the human rights bit comes in particularly in relation to sustainable development goals. And that's a real shift though isn't it because the literature traditionally has talked about sustainability in relation to the environmental element and when we talk about it in schools, it seemed to previously focus mainly on outdoor education, environmental education, environmental studies, whatever we were calling it at that time. So that's a real shift in thrust, is it not? Yeah, there is. But I think it stems a lot from, I suppose, the global collaboration that is seen to be a requirement for sustainable living in terms of we can't just focus on one element in particular. It's very much taking a systematic approach to sustainability that all these different elements are interconnected and you can't start targeting and tackling one element of it without having a potential negative repercussion elsewhere in that system. So to think systemically and to see the world as a system and not just a machine with one part, you fix one part, the machine starts working again, and um, you need to look at all these different areas. So how do we translate that then into schools? Because we don't so, have a curricular topic or a curricular area called sustainability or learning for sustainability. We still have those subject silos. So how do we translate that then into what we do in school? Yeah, so that is a really good question. It's one that I get asked a lot. So here in Scotland, we have I suppose this initiative known as learning for sustainability that is an umbrella term that refers to outdoor learning sustainable development education and global citizenship education as well and um, one of the I suppose, challenges that people bring up in relation to learning for sustainability is that it doesn't have any ease and o's experiences and outcomes or benchmarks in the curriculum for excellence which makes it seem that it's almost like a bit of an add-on that it's not part of the curriculum itself but if anything it is an opportunity to be very free and very flexible in relation to how you implement sustainability in your practice. Learning for sustainability is the responsibility of all practitioners and it's also up to, if all children are entitled to experience like sustainability education in whatever way. So by focusing on that broad outlook and these umbrella terms and looking at your own practice in whatever setting that you work in, you will be able to identify elements of sustainability in a certain way that you can integrate into your teaching. So maybe you could give us some examples then of how people are embedding that into the practice. 
Yeah, so for example, I was a discussion that I had with one of my students the other week, actually, in relation to how plastics and things like that, and also how, I suppose, the methods of production are being used in technology education or or technologies, I think is the word, um, and looking at essentially what elements of that curricular or that area or that lesson are being taught? Is it reflective of what is currently associated with the goals? And then how can it be adjusted in relation to that? Um, in relation to outdoor learning, um, looking at meaningful ways of incorporating outdoor learning, not just, you know, taking learners outside and, you know, reading under trees and things mm -hmm. like that, using the outdoors as a resource or using it as a venue to host outdoor learning in relation to, I don't know, if it's a math lesson, for example, and if you're looking at symmetry, using the natural environment around you to look for symmetrical and asymmetrical things. Um, it's it's very varied. It's, it's difficult to pin down lots of different examples because the curriculum is so broad and lots of specialists focus on, I suppose, different topics. Um, and it varies so much from school to school as well. Do we get into that thing where um, there's a bit of repetition? So a, a there's a danger that um, teachers all do the same topics and they all do them right the way through through school, for example. Um, floating and sinking, we do in the early years in nursery and then they do it again when they're in primary school. And then they probably hit it again in science when they hit secondary or at the end of primary school they're doing something around world war Two, and then they do it again when they go into secondary school and then they do it again when they decide that they want to pick their their higher subjects or advanced higher subjects is is there a danger that we repeat the same bits or is, or is it actually quite helpful in terms of consolidation that we might repeat the same bits Oh, that's a really good question. I think so, so when it comes to successfully embedding, I suppose, sustainable development education within your practice, you're looking for it to be learner led and you're also looking to empower the learner. Of course, you're trying to communicate a certain element of knowledge there, but, you know, the world isn't going to change unless there's action attributed to that as well. So we're looking at sharing knowledge, but also looking at those values and those skills that those learners need in order to make a difference there. And I think naturally, as a learner progresses through their educational career, as they grow older, and when they are empowered to suppose take those elements within their own environment or be allowed to adapt their own learning in a certain way to include sustainability issues that they see around them, then even if topics are repeated over time, the lens or the attribute that the learner chooses to focus on will change as they grow. Mm. So I'm thinking about our colleagues that teach modern languages and the complaint that, you know, in primary one, they do the colours and in primary four, they do the colours and in primary seven and then in first year and so on. So who... Who has responsibility in the learning for sustainability? I'm just conscious that you said when children are allowed to do certain things, are, are we giving them responsibility or are we wanting to foster agency as part of learning for sustainability, perhaps? I'm just thinking about the rights element, which is the thing I'm interested in, obviously. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I think agency is very important there. I think traditionally there's been a structure where, you know, you might have the teacher at the top of the room talking about the issue, what the problem is, why it is a problem and how it can be solved. Um, particularly for early years and even the air levels in primary, we'll be looking mostly, I suppose, at local examples and local issues. And that's not to say that local issues should be, I suppose, not continuing to secondary school. Of course they should. If anything, they're more mobile and out and about at that stage to engage with their own local environment. Um, but oh, I've totally lost my train of thought there. <laughs> but it made me think, actually, when you were talking about the local, that um, I'm trying to remember who it was that wrote about it in relation to children's rights, but they talk about we have to be very careful of not making children's rights look like it's a problem of faraway places and that we need to look at the local in terms of rights being met or rights being breached. And I suppose the same is true about learning for sustainability, that we actually have to recognise that there are issues in our own locale as much as there are things happening further away. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think in when it comes to identifying what those issues are in our own locality, there's no one better equipped to identify those than the young people that live there. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, particularly if you think of, you know, the role of a teacher, often they don't live in the catchment area of the school, they're commuting in. So because they don't live in that area, they're not necessarily attuned with the issues that the children face every day, whether it's on their walk to school, or whether it's at the weekends when they're in the park and they had all this litter and they weren't able to put in a bin and didn't know what to do. Um, so giving the learners the opportunity, and it, it should be there, you know, engaging them with their own local environment, identifying the issues that impact them, discussing it, and then adding that, I suppose, more, I suppose, global lens, seeing what, how that issue was solved elsewhere, but being critical about that. Would that work here? Why? why not how can we adjust it then how can we get that change made to improve the place that you live and then move on to the next thing so i suppose that leads me to wonder about well what opportunities do we have as well as those challenges what are the opportunities we have when we're embracing learning for sustainability because there is a danger isn't there that learning for sustainability is all very negatively framed around world catastrophe and so on How, what are the opportunities as you see them yeah I think that's a really good point to make actually in relation to it's almost seen that the world is ending and how can we stop it I think almost taking a, a backcasting approach where you look at how we want the world to be in the future and then what steps do we need to take to make it that way removes that doom and gloom element to sustainable education you know there's a lot of talk at the moment about climate anxiety with young people engaging with the climate crisis and how they feel that it's just spiraling out of control and they're one person and they have very little that they can do about that so focusing on this is what we want it to look like in the future these are the characteristics that we want to have in our lives in the future so what steps can we take now leading up to that point that allow for this world to be created. So it focuses much more on the positive, it focuses much more on the agency and it focuses much more on the action as well. 
Yeah, I, I'm thinking about something that um, Sharon Hunter wrote some time ago about um, us having to be cautious about treating children as our saviours. That, you know, the things we do are about making amends for the mess that, that we as adults have made and expecting them to fix it. But that idea of agency and involving children and young people in the, the dialogue around what they want the future to be like is an important one, I think. Definitely. And I think particularly with standards of living and things like that, we as adults are also living longer than ever. So we are still part of that future. Uh, so pawning it off to the young people is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make because the point of sustainability is for collaboration and working together and taking different perspectives and different worldviews and then moving forward from that. So I suppose moving us on a wee bit, maybe um, because time is limited, maybe you could talk to us a little about the kind of projects that you're involved in, either with your students or as part of your own research knowledge exchange activity. Yeah, so my own activity, I currently am the Strathclyde partner for an Erasmus Plus project known as Island Schools. And as part of Island Schools, we work to connect schools on Europe's islands together um, in order to create a sort of innovative education around the sustainability challenges that those schools face. So I work with partners in the Netherlands, Iceland, Spain and Greece. Um, we hosted actually um, an international partner meeting here in Strathclyde for our partners in October, which was great fun. We actually, first time we got to meet each other in real life, um, which was lovely. Um, and then just talk about the next steps of the project. So it works in relation to having our schools. So schools partnered up together. So our current partnerships, there's one school in the Netherlands working with a school in Iceland and then there is our second partnership so a school in Scotland working with a school in Greece. They work together on a shared scheme of work so the first unit is ocean plastics. They introduce each other to their islands virtually. They then share their issues surrounding that particular topic so ocean plastics being the first one. Then they identify shared issues in relation to that topic and then they work in groups together to come up with a shared, I suppose, response or way of mitigating that problem in the future. I, I know people can't see me and they think that I must be some kind of glamorous 20 something and I'm not. <laughs> this means I have to out myself for my Luddite tendencies. I, am I anticipate that these young people have some really imaginative ways of virtually sharing their environment how are they doing that kind of thing so the each of the schemes of work involves I suppose an element of like data gathering or research where they I suppose become the researcher and look at their own environment and place where they live mm -hmm. and then they decide upon a medium to best I suppose showcase their island to their partner skills so it comes up with videos presentations posters um songs sharing media and things like that too so it's it's always very exciting it's always very creative it's great fun and how long's the project got to go so we are looking at ending it this year or that yeah, it is well what month is it january so we're looking at the autumn is when this will kind of start to wrap up and then it will be out there in the wild 
for new schools and things to join in so yeah so when we get to that point how do people find out about what you've been doing are you going to be publishing from it are you holding an event or something like that? yes so lots and lots of things so first of all we do have a website so islandschools.eu that people can log in to find there um and there we have examples of you know our aims and objectives our partner schools our partner institutions and also the resources that we created so far and um, we also are currently working on a collaborative paper, which we'll be sharing at the Rural Geographies Conference in the University of Groningen in the summer. And then we'll also have some events to wrap things up at the end. Um, we have another partner meeting coming up in April in Greece. So we'll be working on more materials there. And then, yeah, that's kind of the next steps for us. Nice to have a trip to Greece at that time of year. <laughs> It's not bad. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you remember your website address if people are listening and want to look it up to access the resources and so on? So it's islandschools.eu. So islandschools, all one word, then .eu. Oh, nice and simple. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I, know. We were, I think we were quite early with the domain. It was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and does that relate in any way to your own doctoral work? Do you know it, it it does in a way. So I'm currently in the thesis stage of my own ed and I'm focusing on public open spaces, the access to public open spaces, the quality of public open spaces for young people and how it impacts or relates to their well-being. Um, the idea for that, I suppose, came from during the pandemic when I was a teacher and a lot of or some people were very wary of young people being inside staring at a screen all the time and every once in a while you know you'd set a task asking them to like go outside and do a thing and report back on how it was and it kind of got me thinking that we're taking it for granted that all young people have access to outdoor space and that it is at a quality that will facilitate them to do these tasks um, and then also at the time you know you'll know as well as I do Claire that going outside and having access to open spaces was so important for our well-being at that time and we relied so much of that to just get out of the house and get away from the screens um so all kind of amalgamated together into this idea to look at well is there equal distribution of public open space if there isn't then who has best access what's the quality to that space like all those different types of questions Oh, that sounds really fascinating um i think maybe we'll have you back on to talk about your your study at some point in the in the future the near future. oh I wouldn't hold your breath there it'll be a while I think but <laughs> yeah no problem no problem <laughs> so to wrap up if teachers and or pupils could easily do one thing to promote sustainability in their daily lives what would you suggest that thing is hmm. I, I think it's best to keep it simple going back to reduce reuse recycle there's an awful lot of emphasis put on the recycle bit but i would really like if we focus more on the reducing and the reusing part you know because then if we buy less things we don't have to recycle as many things and it, it's much more it's much more efficient system so like thinking about if you're going to well, go to the shops do i actually really need that thing you know, I I think I'm quite conscious of that sometimes as well, like seeing 
something new and shiny in the shop and wanting to buy it straight away. But do I really need it? So reducing my own consumption and then just reusing the things that I have and then recycling as well. But recycling gets lots of publicity. Recycling is fantastic. But reducing and reusing is something that we should all be focusing on going forward, I think. To be honest, that's probably how I conduct my lectures year on year. No, I'm kidding. I realise people are listening to know me. <laughs> There's a tip from the top, everyone. <laughs> Reduce and reuse. That's today's message and uh, every day's message going forward from Will. Thank you very much. It's been lovely speaking to you. No, I really enjoyed myself, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to our Strathclyde Education Podcast Series. We'll be back soon with another episode.